the Savior, King of us all, Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, to be the glory forever. Amen. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the second Sunday of Lent, the Sunday of Temptation. And the Gospel tells us that our Lord Jesus Christ is led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And the Gospel says, Then was Jesus led up to the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Then, referring to after what? What was happening right before that? When he says then, or when the Gospel says then, it's referring to after the descent of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ. And actually something interesting that St. John Chrysostom highlights here in his commentary in the Gospel of St. Matthew, says that if after the baptism of Christ, he immediately has to endure temptation, and he endures it, sort of uh, nobly, and he expected it as a, as a natural thing to happen, then we should also have the same expectation and expect the same sort of treatment from the devil. St. John Chrysostom talks about, like in our baptism, we take up arms not so that we can sit around and do nothing, but so that we can fight. And he explains that this is part of the reason why God doesn't hinder Temptations from coming to us. He wants to teach us to become stronger so that we continue sort of in this balance of, of not being exalted by our progress and remembering that we can overcome or become overcome by sin if we allow temptation to succeed. And most especially, you know, St. John was talking about it in reference to our baptism, but I think also is relevant in reference to sort of beginning spiritual struggle. As we begin, we're sort of in the, in, the, in the beginnings of the fast. We should expect when I start to fast that I'm going to have uh, 
warfare from the devil. The devil is not going to leave me to just uh, have success spiritually without trying to take away my success. Sudan also makes a point that I think most of us know by experience when we begin a good spiritual work, when the beginning that like I, I try to do something good, it's inevitable that we're going to be approached by Satan. From the beginning, the devil attacked Adam. Why and when? Because he saw him enjoying the paradise. When did he attack Job? Because he saw him crowned and proclaimed by God that this is a righteous man. So even from the first verse, we can sort of put aside this idea or this trap of expecting that life as a follower of Christ should be an easygoing thing, or that because God is blessing my life, things should go easy. This is actually very prevalent in Western Christianity, and we have even like entire ministries built around sort of the prosperity gospel. Even if we know these things to be wrong, sometimes we can fall prey to this. When life is difficult, we question, is God standing with me or not? And we forget that trials, that tribulations are a normal and expected part of life in this temporary and passing world. So right after his baptism, our Lord Jesus Christ goes into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Just as he's about to begin his ministry, he automatically goes to the hard th hardest thing right away, facing off with the devil himself. It seems like you know a, a kid who is maybe graduating from kindergarten and automatically gets enrolled into a calculus class or something. You might say, "Well, you know, this is God. Of course, He can do that." But it's, there's a reminder here that we are given the same Holy Spirit that led Christ into the wilderness. So the same Spirit that descended on Christ at His baptism, He now freely gives to us in our baptism and in our confirmation. And the Holy Spirit will sometimes lead us to difficult and uncomfortable things. But the power of the Holy Spirit is manifest in our weakness, as God told St. Paul. And it was the Spirit Himself who led Christ into the wilderness. The Spirit led Christ into the wilderness. So again, going back to what I said a few minutes ago, this should kind of shatter any preconceived notion of my life as a Christian should be easy and, and, and protected. If the Spirit led Christ into the wilderness, what makes us think that the Holy Spirit is going to call us to a life of pleasure and a life of relaxation? One of the things that we call the Holy Spirit, we say the Comforter. What good is the Comforter if you are already comfortable? Right? The Comforter comes to comfort us in times of struggle. Another thing that actually St. John Chrysostom talks about in his commentary, he asks the question, when the Holy Spirit wanted to lead Christ to be tempted, where did He lead Him to? He led Him to the wilderness, and what was significant about the wilderness? That He was alone. And St. John says, similarly, the devil attacks us when he sees us alone. When did he, for example, tempt Eve? When she was alone and far from Adam. When he sees us, when the devil sees us sort of banded together, we are protected. So it's important that we gather together as a, continually as a community in spiritual works and not leave ourselves open to the devil's attacks. Many, many times people say, you know, why do I need to go to church? I can stay home, I can pray by myself. 
Why can't I have my relationship with God apart from the rest of the believers? This is one among many of the reasons we need each other. St. Paul says in the book of Hebrews, But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So he says there is an opportunity for us to be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And how do we prevent this? By exhorting one another daily. And we can't exhort one another daily if we are not around one another. Looking at the temptations themselves, we can learn a lot from looking at the temptations and how Christ reacts to them. The first temptation of turning the stones into bread is basically summing up the gospel that we heard just last week about laboring for the food which perishes. Our Lord Jesus Christ is not eating anything in the wilderness and as a result, obviously as a human, is hungry. From most of our perspective, this is like a perfect opportunity for Christ to display His power by turning the stone into bread. Instead, we can almost imagine Christ looking at Satan and saying, I don't need bread, God is enough for me. And when we think about this, sometimes we look at it and say, what is wrong with Christ using some of His divine power and turning the stones into bread? Why didn't He want to do it? Our Lord Jesus Christ had been sent to earth as a man. He came to take the form of a servant, not to use his godly abilities to sort of bend the laws of nature to serve himself. If you look throughout all of the Gospels, every miracle of Christ is aimed at bringing honor to his Father and validating his ministry. Turning the stones into bread would have been disobedient to God the Father. It would have been sort of a frivolous use of his abilities. Our Lord Jesus Christ came to be served, excuse me, came not to be served, but to serve. That's why he says, I, he does not live by bread alone. He lives and we live by being obedient to God. A key aspect in this temptation specifically is that the desire for food is not bad in and of itself. But when the pursuit of a natural desire comes before obeying God, then it becomes sin. This example helps us to understand that sometimes temptation is less about doing an action that maybe is characterized as, you know, quote-unquote wrong, and more about satisfying a normal desire in a sinful way. Eating is not wrong, but placing your desire for something neutral, or even something good, above trusting God and obeying God is wrong. In the next temptation, when the devil tells him, he takes him up into a really high place, and he says, throw yourself down. And he says, you know, there's a good reason why you should do this, because it's written that if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, because it, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And they're going to lift you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And our Lord Jesus Christ said that we shouldn't put God to the test. It's important to understand or to recognize that Satan is using Scripture to directly tempt our Lord Jesus Christ. Almost like he's saying, it's okay, you can do this because the Gospel says so. How often do we sort of try to justify our own sin and our own shortcomings by wrongfully using the word of God out of context. You can imagine people sort of justifying 
their use of alcohol by talking about First Timothy when St. Paul recommends for Timothy to drink some wine. How does our Lord Jesus Christ combat this twisting of the Scripture? He does it by recognizing that the Word of God doesn't contradict itself. If following one piece of the Bible causes me to sort of disobey another, then my interpretation or my understanding is not in line with the with what the Bible is actually saying. Like for example, in Philippians, St. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Many times we take a verse like this out of context. This verse has nothing to do with sort of uh, becoming a successful uh, person or winning you know, the lottery or closing a business deal or whatever. What is the context of what St. Paul is talking about? St. Paul is actually in this time when he's writing this under house arrest, awaiting his trial, where he might be put to death for preaching the resurrection of Christ. And he's saying, instead of being defeated by my unfortunate circumstances, I'm going to use this opportunity to teach the church of the Philippians and that he can endure every and any circumstance, his ups and his downs and his highs and lows, because he has a strength that only comes from Christ. So he's not saying like, I can do anything I put my mind to. It's not like a, a self-help. This verse is not like for self-help. The verse is to remind us that God can give us the strength to endure any difficulty. In the Gospel of St. Matthew, we hear our Lord Jesus Christ saying, Judge not that you may not be judged. And we take this verse out of context all the time. We're living in a day that sort of values uh, quote-unquote tolerance above everything. Of course, unless someone disagrees with our belief or our lifestyle or our opinion, then we're sometimes extremely intolerant. And sometimes even we say, only God can judge me. But this is not biblical theology. This verse is not warning against speaking out against certain actions or certain behaviors. Actually, in another place in the scripture, our Lord Jesus Christ says, you will know them by their fruit. He also, he commanded uh, the disciples in the Great Commission to make disciples. Making disciples includes helping other people wage war against sin. Matthew chapter 7, when he says, judge not so that you not be judged, is a warning against self-righteousness, a warning against hypocrisy. If we're going to correct somebody, then we should hold ourselves to the same standard. If we judge with aggression, then we can be expected to be judged with aggression. So we have to be careful when we're looking, looking at Scripture, not to take it out of context, as the devil did with our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the devil took him up on a mountain, and he said, I will give you all, all of these things are in my authority, and I'm going to give them all to you if you just worship me. Our Lord Jesus Christ responds, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only you shall serve. When we first look at this, it seems to be like straightforward. Don't fall into the sin of worldliness for the sake of making worldly gain. That's basically the lesson for us. But if we look closer, we can, we can glean some other things from it. You can imagine that Satan is telling our Lord Jesus Christ, if you want to be powerful, if you want to rule the world, worship me and I'll make it happen. So when our Lord Jesus Christ responds... It's natural to think that our Lord Jesus Christ is just saying, telling Satan he's not going to worship him because God alone is worthy of worship. 
But look at the like the specific order after Satan that he makes to our Lord Jesus Christ, how it involves Christ's exaltation above all the kingdoms of the earth. Satan offers to make Christ great, sort of apart from God. And if you look at Christ's response, you can see that he's not only just denying Satan worship, but at the same time he's denying himself ungodly exaltation, which is actually a bigger risk for us in the church today. When's the last time, for example, you heard of a Christian going and saying, you know what, actually I'm deciding I'm going to worship Satan. You know, this is not happening. This is not the problem. But if we look around, we will see that self-glorification is rampant in our churches and among us and in our hearts every day. This is the sin that we need to be able to recognize in ourselves and to combat and to recognize that worship is due only to God. The temptation is not so much in these days to worship Satan, but the temptation actually is in worshiping ourselves, in glorifying ourselves above God. Looking after the things of this world to try to gain the things that will make me feel good, the things that will make me feel important. At the end of the Gospel, not the one that we read in the liturgy, but the one that we read in Matins, it says that the devil after he had tempted him with every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. It's important to recognize this, this part. When we resist Satan, he is going to flee from us. But I have to be prepared for future temptations and future trials. So the good news is that when I resist, Satan is going to flee from me. The bad news is he does not stay gone. He departed from him until an opportune time. And even worse news is that usually he tries to come back when we are at our most vulnerable. All of us would rather not deal with continued temptation, continued struggle, but it is a fact of life until the second coming of Christ. But there is actually an added benefit of standing strong in, into the face of, of, of Satan's warfare. When you overcome the enemy, you become stronger in the spirit. Look what the verses say after that verse that I just read. And Jesus returned in the power of the spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. It's not a coincidence, not by accident, that these verses appear right after the temptation of our Lord Jesus Christ. All throughout the scripture in the New Testament can see how perseverance in temptation and perseverance in persecution lead us to a greater and, 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 and more clear manifestation of the Holy Spirit working in the lives of the people. So there are hardships and there are struggles that are maybe difficult to bear, but they result in strength. We receive the Holy Spirit working in us in a stronger way, causing us to become sanctified, enabling us to be firmly planted during hard seasons, hard times of our lives. Temptation trains us and makes us stronger. We can understand, see, by, by examining these temptations, we can see how great Christ is, and we also can understand or, or learn how we can imitate Him in everything that we do. We can understand how God works in our weakness, how perseverance is important in the Christian life. We always pray that we don't enter into temptation. But if we do enter into temptation, 
We should pray that we're able to stand strong and be assured that we have hope in Christ who defeated Satan before us. May God give us the strength, the continued strength and perseverance, especially during this time in the fast, to endure the temptations of Satan for the glory of the name of God and glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Uh-huh.